Uh, the reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 15. I invite your hearing in reverence and in faith God's word here from Romans chapter 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, most of you are aware of the fact that in uh, the financial world, um, people uh, chase returns. In the athletic world, uh, the athletes chase returns. They're not really called returns. They're called points or goals or touchdowns. And everyone is chasing some kind of return. We will learn from this text, as well as many others, that the Apostle Paul is chasing the advance of the gospel. And all of this is a reminder that God wants returns from our lives and our ministries. And our text this morning uh, is that Paul will illustrate how God generates those returns, as well as how God enables us in grace to provide him with those returns for his glory. A part of our uh, text this morning, of course, is a uh, prayerful reminder, and uh, Paul gives uh, thanks to God for their faith. And then Paul offers prayers that he might be able to come to them based on his obligation to preach the gospel. And it is this preaching of the gospel that captivates the Apostle Paul because he's chasing returns. His uh, captivation uh, for the gospel is seen in verse 8 as a spectator. If you will, to use a sports metaphor, Paul is on the sidelines. But in verses 9 to 15, he wants to be a participant. So he wants to come to them participating in the advance of the gospel. So let's begin first uh, in verse 8 by the reality that evangelism uh, captivated Paul as a spectator. And we see this as he thanks God for the church. Uh, the church was most uh, likely the product of, of Jews and God-fearing Gentiles that had come uh, to faith in Jerusalem 
uh, during the great pilgrim feast and how they, in some manner or form, in God's providence, interacted with the church in Jerusalem. And uh, there they're infected with uh, the gospel and they return to Rome. And that's really the birth of the, the church at Rome. People going to Jerusalem, coming to faith, returning to Rome, and establishing churches. So the immediate cause of uh, the Church of Rome was uh, Christians in Jerusalem. And of course, the ultimate cause is, uh, is God. So Paul, in, verse, in the verse, thanks God. And I think the particular reference of his thanksgiving to God is for the power of God. Because it takes power to regenerate people. It takes power to plant churches. Uh, reminded of uh, the words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, Paul says that your faith uh, should not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. We're the products of sovereign power. Our faith rests upon the power of God. Because that's what it takes to generate faith within us. And all throughout life, our faith must rest upon the power of God. And thank God, he is gracious to provide the church with power. Another reminder of this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, uh, Paul is uh, thanking God um, for what is the surpassing greatness of his power among those who believe. And that these things are according to the working of the strength of his might. The strength of the might of God. Uh, referencing the entire context of Ephesians chapter 1, that uh, in Christ, by the strength of the power of God, we were brought to faith. And may, may our faith always rest upon the power of God. Temptation is always to rest on our own strength. It's the strength of the might of God. In all of our endeavors, in particular spiritual endeavors, uh, that we would um, see the advance of, of the gospel. And of course, uh, he thanks God through Jesus Christ in creating the church through Christ. Our coming to faith was through Christ. It was not in and of ourselves. It was through the great Redeemer that He accomplished our redemption. I was struck by the reality, the beauty of the hymn that we sang. Full atonement can it be. Imagine the wonder of that. Upon the cross, our Savior offered full atonement. Not a partial atonement, not leaving something for us to do, but accomplishing full atonement. Fitting response, hallelujah, what a Savior. Great reference to this in uh, Revelation chapter 5, in verse 9. Christ purchased men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So our faith is through Christ. He purchased us on the cross. Wonderful biblical illustrations of this uh, in the scriptures. 
1 Corinthians 2.5 and Ephesians 1.19. The strength of the might of God. The power of God. The work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And of course, uh, from this text, we, we have the reminder that the power of God generates within us, returns for the glory of Christ. Because our existence here is purposeful. Purposeful to create returns for Christ. And so we have a duty to rely on that power. Uh, There's a great interplay in this text of the provision of God, our duty, and then God's gracious provision. And that's true of all of the endeavors of the Christian. We have a duty, but we also have power. And God gives us power that we might generate returns for his glory. Uh, the immediate cause, uh, coming back to our text this morning, of Paul's thanksgiving uh, is that their faith was being proclaimed throughout the whole world. So again, Paul is a participant. What's he watching? Uh, the faith of the Roman church being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Now, a very quick theological reminder, that's obviously a figure of speech in terms of the reference to the whole world, because their faith was not being proclaimed literally in the whole world. Uh, the Roman church uh, did not uh, go to the Incas and the Mayans. But the point of the text of the whole world was the world of they, their day, the world that they knew, which was the Roman Empire. In other words, the church at Rome was instrumental in some way in proclaiming the faith, the gospel throughout the entire Roman Empire. Paul doesn't really tell us how, but we can surmise that they had businessmen that would leave from Rome and go to the different cities of the empire to sell their goods or to engage in transactions, and they would also proclaim the gospel because they knew that God wanted returns from them. And they knew also that God gave them the power to do just that. Uh, so, good reminder for us, people uh, would go to Rome, would become infected with the gospel. On occasions, people come to 10301 Lakeside Drive, attend a worship service. Perhaps they're infected with the gospel. We would pray to that end. Uh, and it is, of course, a beautiful illustration that uh, the gospel and its proclamation uh, generates uh, returns for the glory of God. And God wants returns, and he gives grace that we can secure them for his glory. Well, as you can well imagine, Paul doesn't want to be just uh, an observer or a spectator. He wants in on the action. Uh, Paul wants to generate returns. He, sings, he sees returns being generated uh, in the church at Rome. He wants in on the action. It's kind of like in the financial world. You have someone that's a friend of yours and calls you and says, you need to buy this stock. Uh, someone told me that gold is going up. I mean, I'm not, I don't know any of those things, so I'm not encouraging you to do any of them. I'll leave that to you. But all of us, I suspect, have friends or associates that say, you need to buy BAC or JPM or you fill in the blank of your favorite 
stock, perhaps that you purchased or didn't purchase. Every time I buy one, they go down. And every time I sell one, they go up. So I'm giving no advice other than the fact that Paul wants the proclamation of the gospel to generate returns for the glory of God. And he, kind of, he wants to go to Rome to get in on the action. Verses 9 to 15. Uh, chasing returns. It's very interesting to me that Paul, if you think of the geography of the Mediterranean world, uh, he has been planting churches all over the east. But he wants to go west. He does that in the city of Philippi, but he wants to go further west to Rome and eventually to Spain. So in that sense, you can see that Paul was captivated in chasing returns. The return of the proclamation of the gospel. And, and so in verse 9, he expresses his desire to, to come to them for service. Very interesting, he wants to come to them for service. Succinctly, Paul serves God in the gospel. It's very interesting that this word, pardon me, this verb to serve is used in the Old Testament of the priests serving God in the tabernacle. In the pagan world, it was used of pagans in their spiritual service to their idols. So this is a profoundly religious term to serve God in the proclamation of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. And that preaching is a means that God uses to generate returns for his glory. And this was Paul's priestly service. I would remind you that at Grace Bible Church, we believe that every believer is a priest. I, mean, I understand properly, I should say, and priestess, but a priest in service to God. In whatever field or endeavor you are in life, you're not just there as a butcher, baker, or candlestick maker. You are there as a priest of God. To generate, of course, returns for your employer, of course. But to render priestly service. Because in the manner that you live your life, in the manner in which you do your work, you are giving a representation of the power of the gospel. I remember the story of a conversion of a great Christian theologian converted by a Christian secretary as he watched her work. Everyone else was goofing off in the office. Everyone else was huddled around uh, the water cooler, whatever, drinking coffee, talking about, I don't know, the baseball game, the World Series. She was at work doing her duty. It became an instrument that God used to advance the faith this theologian's life. Her priestly service. And in that sense, it owned the Apostle Paul. And Paul's service also leads him to pray that he can come to them by the will of God. Isn't that interesting? By the will of God. That every aspect of our life when we pray should be, Lord, thy will be done. 
because we're absolutely dependent every aspect of our life on the will of God. Of course, in our text this morning, Paul is praying. We know that prayer generates returns. It's a means that God has appointed um, to advance evangelism and spiritual growth. But Paul's particular desire is he wants to see them. Verse 11. In order that I might impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. Paul was always on the move to advance the gospel. It's the essence of his prayer life. Uh, Because he wants to see the gospel advance, so he wants to get in on the action at Rome. He asks by the will of God that he might be able to go to Rome. You know, there's a beautiful illustration of this, uh, the beauty of this uh, text and what it's teaching us in uh, the coming of the hoax uh, next week. So tell us about the advance of the gospel uh, in Uganda and the Congo. I doubt many of you will ever go to Uganda or the Congo physically. But you know what? You can buy in on the action by supporting their ministry. Perhaps you can't physically go there to generate returns for the gospel. But you can buy into it. Take a part. To buy their presence. Think about it. Pray about it. Because you and I should be infected uh, with Enterprises that advance the glories of the gospel, the glory of Christ, in light of all that he has done for us in his uh, sovereign power. Our text uh, gives us three purpose clauses as to why Paul wants to come and visit. It's illustrative of the fact that his Actions, his desire to come, uh, are purposeful. Uh, Paul's not just drifting around in life. Uh, He's not just going to wander into Rome and see what happens. Purposeful. Our actions in life should be purposeful. Even our entertainment should be purposeful. God knows we need rest. Um, but we need to be purposeful. We're not just cast adrift, uh, the tide's taking us wherever. Uh, we go out on a sailboat. Well, winds blow where you will. Paul is telling us that his actions coming to Rome are going to be purposeful. He's specific and determined. The first purpose, verse 11, is that he might impart some spiritual gift to establish them. Uh, The reference to the spiritual gift in my mind is a a metonymy or a figure of speech of substitution uh, in which he wants to impart some spiritual understanding or insight to them into the teaching of the faith, the theology, the doctrine of the faith. I say this because this epistle, I think more than any other in the New Testament, It's the greatest doctrinal theological statement of our faith in all of the scriptures, my opinion. 
but I suspect many will agree with me. Uh, this is the greatest theological doctrinal reference uh, to God redeeming a people for himself. How he does that. And Paul was after the theological understanding of this great eternal plan of God. The subsidiary purpose is that Paul might establish them in the faith. And of course, it's illustrative of the fact that doctrine and theology generate returns. Uh, it's my sad duty to tell you that I think many churches uh, don't want to get into doctrine or theology. And so they're more prone to uh, increase their music and their liturgy. I'm all for liturgy. I love Christian music. Uh, but they should always be subsidiary to the theology of the scriptures that speak to the majesty of the greatness of God who redeems a people for himself. Understanding that is so purposeful. And Paul wants to impart a measure of that insight. Because theology establishes people in the faith. And that's critical for the life of a Christian to get them established. For many reasons, but one to be sure is that Satan's going to counterattack. He doesn't like to let people go. And so he's always counterattacking. He's always spinning counterfeits. And so we need doctrine and theology to be established, to be fixed. Uh, by the way, um, being established in the faith is a duty. It's a duty. You have a duty to be established in the faith. I trust that's one of the reasons you come to Grace Bible Church. I know it's not the only reason, but I just trust it's one. Now, let's look at an illustration of that duty from Revelation chapter 3 and verse 2. That's a very interesting text because uh, this is the word of Jesus Christ and it's a rebuke to the church. He says, wake up and strengthen the things that remain which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. That's a very stinging rebuke. It's like saying, get with it. Get purposeful. Some things are undone. Get them done. Some things are not established. Get them established. And of course, there's always means to that. Um, sometimes people help you get established. Um, Apostle Paul understood that the church at Thessalonica. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 2, he says, uh, And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to the faith. We need others to help us in this great endeavor. 
getting established, getting fixed, being strengthened. That's why the church is so radically important. One of my favorite programs when I was a little boy, The Lone Ranger. But even he had a colleague, didn't he? But my point is there are no Lone Rangers in the Christian faith. Church is essential to being strengthened and established. The corollary, of course, to the duty is the grace of God. Everything about our Christian journey from beginning to end is a provision of the sovereign grace of God. Let's look at this in um, Romans chapter 16 uh, in verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, God is able to establish us. We repair all the time, sensing our own innate weakness because we're still sinners. I trust redeemed sinners, but we're still sinners. And so we are always repairing to the power and the grace of God to establish us in the faith, keep us from drifting, I was at a swimming pool yesterday talking with a friend of mine. Believe it or not, the conversation turned to the faith. Of course, he knew in a measure what I was about. Um, said, well, you know, I left my church. I got upset with a priest. Uh, he told me thus and such about someone else. And he said, I've left organized religion. My friend, that's a dangerous ground to walk on. That's a dangerous pursuit to leave the church physically. So it's, a, it's an illustration of the desperate need. Someone comes to faith. They need to be established. They need to understand that every church has its warts and freckles. That at some point in my life, Unwittingly, I hope, by the grace of God, I might step on your toes. Uh, I, I trust just literally and not spiritually, but I'm as fallen as you are. I'm as desperate for the need of the grace of God as you are. And uh, we need God to establish us. Another great reminder of this, uh, 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 3. In verses 12 and 13. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you, so that, so that He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of His saints. Desperate need. Let me give you a metaphor. Some of you are in the construction business. And if you're not, I know you've seen this. Someone comes out to your house to pour concrete. 
And you hope and pray some little boy doesn't walk on it before it's set up. Or perhaps your dog or cat. So we need God to fix us. The concrete to set. And so we we labor to establish people in the faith. We saddle up to people who can help us in that endeavor. We attend a church by the grace of God uh, to enhance the setting of the concrete to fix us in our great faith. Second purpose that Paul wants to come and visit them, uh, verse 13. That I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So Paul uh, wants to participate in the harvest of their lives. Uh, I've, I've, I've never been a farmer. I have great respect for anyone who's in the agricultural business. Whether they're planting crops or ranching, raising cattle or whatever uh, their ranching business might be. Because to me, it's just an incredibly challenging occupation. But they plant to generate returns. A harvest. It's not, it's not a dollar bill. It's maybe an ear of corn or a stand of wheat, but it's a return. They don't do it willy-nilly. They do it purposeful. They engage in means such as applying chemicals or praying for rain or perhaps sometimes that it would stop raining. But the purposefulness, and that's Paul wants to come to Rome to generate a measure of harvest, uh, their progress in the gospel. Uh, in the Bible, the, the word fruit uh, is oftentimes used literally. Uh, literally. Literal fruit. Great illustration of this in a tragic sense in Matthew 21. Verses 18 and 19. Jesus is returning to the city. He's hungry. He sees a lone fig tree by the road. He comes to that fig tree. He finds nothing upon it. And then he curses it. No longer shall there ever be any fruit among you. And at that moment, the fig tree withered. Christ is the sovereign creator. There's a fig tree. He wants a return from it. He wants fruit. Doesn't produce fruit. He withers it. It is an illustration of the larger point of this text. That God wants returns from our lives. And in His grace, He also provides us power and provision to do just that. But don't lose sight that He wants fruit. It should drive us to prayer in church 
and to fellowship, to study, reading, but nonetheless fruit. Here, of course, the fruit is metaphorical, of people coming to and growing in the faith. Perhaps one of the most overpowering illustration of this fact is found in John chapter 15. I invite you to turn your New Testaments. John chapter 15, that our Savior wants us to produce a return, or if you will, in the agricultural language, fruit. Uh, John chapter 15 and verse 8. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask in the Father's name, He may give to you. Abiding in Christ produces fruit. And it's, it's critical that we understand that's what we are. We're to be fruit bearers for the glory of Christ. It's also critical that uh, there's an eschatological context uh, to uh, this fruit-bearing notion. Look at verses 5 and 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. That's like the fig tree that had no fruit. It was withered. At some point, it came dry. Maybe someone cut it down to go start a fire. overpowering illustration of this that perhaps there's an allusion to in John 15 is the song of the vineyard, Isaiah chapter 5. God plants a vineyard. His planting is purposeful. He wants fruit. But the vineyard produced worthless fruit. And so he sets in motion everything to destroy the vineyard. Illustration of the nation of Israel. They were not producing fruit. They'd become idolatrous. Negative illustration as to what we are to be about in a positive sense. To generate, abiding in Christ, fruit for His glory. Because God wants returns from us. And by His grace enables us, and may we do just that in His, in His grace. Of course, the, uh, the, the grace, um, is seen in the metaphor of the planting. One of my favorite texts in this regard, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, and God was causing the growth. So we engage in activity. We plant the seeds of the gospel. We teach someone, perhaps, to try to establish them. But behind it all is the majesty, the supremacy of the power of God causing growth for His glory. So in many sense, there's another song of another vineyard. He plants the church. And the church produces fruitfulness for the glory of Christ. 
illustration of grace. But Phil, I understand the duty. What's the illustration of grace? Everywhere, of course, God causes the growth. Think of, think of Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Notice what I said. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do we get all those things? We chase all those virtues throughout our lives, don't we? The fruit of the Spirit is how you come by them in the spiritual world of the kingdom of God. Everything that the world is chasing, having seminars on, people write books on, for the Christian, the fruit of the Spirit. And so, true faith is always um, evidenced by fruit, as evidence of genuine faith. The last purpose or reason uh, Paul wants to come to them is simply out of obligation. I'm under obligation, Paul says in verse 14, to preach the gospel. Resurrected Christ had commissioned him particularly to preach the gospel. He's commissioned you in some way. I, I know some of you well enough to know how he's commissioned you. Uh, but it's to generate glory for him, to be sure. So Paul had a duty to chase returns in proclaiming the gospel. And so, illustrating to us a man captivated to chase returns. Not ears of corn. Not an interest rate. Not a capital gain. The returns generated by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A life well lived and a life of words speaking to the great and only Redeemer. And our faith, of course, and our church, in like manner, should illustrate the passion of the Apostle. Well, this morning, uh, we have uh, a distinct uh, provision of the grace of God to help us in generating returns, if you will. Because we go out in life and we live the gospel and we proclaim the gospel, we become weary and tired. We get beat up sometimes. Certainly, more often than not, we get rejected. And uh, God knows that we are hungry and thirsty. And so He comes in special occasions like the sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, the sacrament is, uh, is many things. We oftentimes refer to it as communion. And communion speaks to fellowship with Christ. Paul sent Timothy, God sends his son to strengthen us, to establish us in that communion. The background, of course, is uh, the great event of the Passover, redemption from Egypt. Christ is our Passover. It's very important you recognize that the sacrament of the Lord's table is a visible sign. But it's not in the sign. It's in what is signified by the sign. 
that we are soon uh, going to eat and drink. But if you do it absent faith, other than gaining a few calories, nothing at all profits you. What is signified is the giving of the Son to purchase the people of God. And the breaking of His body upon the cross and the shedding of blood. That we apprehend all that that means. All that it means for us. In desperate need of a Redeemer. And that God in His sovereign grace provides to us the only Redeemer of God's elect in His Son. Uh, of course, um, the importance is a biblical warrant for that. I'm just going to look at two very quickly this morning because of time, but um, I'm very fond of uh, John chapter 6 in uh, verse 35. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. Christ is the essence of spiritual food to satisfy spiritual hunger. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Uh, because it's been quenched uh, by the shedding of the blood of the Savior. Uh, another one, First uh, Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, uh, beginning in, in verse 23, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That a night in which he was betrayed, uh, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the moment we're going to pass the bread, we participate in fellowship with the host of the table who's the Lord Jesus Christ. We remember Him and all that He did for us and the entirety of our inability that He became our ability. And so we reflect, we ponder, and we worship Him for all that He was for us and is for us. In the same way, also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as, you, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That he shed his blood, paid what we could not pay, paid the full price, never to be charged again. I remind you again of the hymn, full atonement, can it be? Nothing at all partial about our Lord's death and resurrection. He gave everything. He was all in. And He secured the exact object for which God the Father sent Him, which was for the church. For the church. And for the individuals that name Him in the church. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. The sacrament of the Lord's table at Grace Bible Church is an open communion. Uh, by that, uh, anyone who has faith in Jesus Christ and belongs to the Lord is open to come. 
I say that because this is not the table of Grace Bible Church. It's the table of the Lord. He is the host. The event is His. It's all about Him. But I would remind you of a warning that is found, of course, in the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. Um, this, uh, this sacrament is not for those who perhaps name the name of Christ, but who are living in some known sin for which they are unrepentant. I just would encourage you either to uh, repent uh, and engage in that or simply pass the elements by. Um, so it's not for believers. Uh, if you're not a Christian and you don't know Christ, again, no one's going to be watching you or looking at you. Just simply pass the elements by. It's for God's people. Uh, but it's also a warning to the Christian not to take of it lightly, not to engage in it in an improper manner uh, in remembering uh, the body and the blood of, of our great and only Redeemer. I would remind you in the uh, passing of the service, uh, in particular the wine, in the, in, in, in the middle of the service there is, there is wine, in the periphery there is grape juice. We all come from many different traditions uh, in church, and we provide both so that each can participate uh, in the freedom of their own conscience and the freedom of uh, their own uh, traditions. Uh, but uh, as the elements are being passed, I would encourage you to take them, hold them, into which time all of us are served. Uh, engage in private prayer. If there's something that you need to get right before God, before you partake, I of course, encourage you to do just that. But at some point, uh, praise God, for He was under no obligation whatsoever to save you. He owed you nothing but death and hell. But because He is gracious, He gave you His Son. And He placed your liability and guilt upon His Son ransom and guarantor to buy you out of slavery to the world, to the devil, and to flesh. That is an overpowering reason to thank God for the Savior. So let's prepare our hearts for the sacrament of the table of Jesus Christ. Our Father, we are profoundly grateful for our Redeemer that no, He was under no obligation whatsoever to leave His heavenly environment, to set aside the voluntary use of His attributes, and to subject Himself to the indignity of mankind and the incredible vagaries of the cross. He came willingly to redeem and to save. And we are grateful, and we remember him, and we also fellowship with him. And in thy good grace, as we eat the bread, may we apprehend by faith what he is uh, to us and for us, and grant that we would be blessed and strengthened in a hungry world for Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. Our Father, we thank Thee for the shedding of blood, for apart from the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin.
We're thankful for the life force of our Savior, our only Savior, even Jesus Christ, uh, who gives to us uh, life in himself. We're profoundly grateful. We are thankful. May we live accordingly. And may that good grace abide mightily upon us uh, for the glory of our great God and the advancement of thy great kingdom in our hearts and in the world in which we live. And we pray, of course, in the name of our only Redeemer, even Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, if you would uh, place uh, communion cups there and receptacles uh, in your pews. Um, I certainly want to thank you for coming uh, to be uh, with us. Uh, this is the Lord's Day. Uh, there are several announcements uh, in your bulletin. Uh, mind you, we'll meet for prayer next Saturday at 8 a.m. Uh, please uh, join us for this important ministry. As I've suggested the last couple of weeks, a hoax will be with us uh, next week to tell us about their ministry. Uh, and we will have a uh, light meal Sunday evening at 6 uh, p.m. Uh, there's a website there where you can go to RSVP so the planners can properly engage. Um, again, I do invite you to consider supporting the hoax as well as Upoki in Uganda. It's a great picture of Upoki in our bulletin board fellowship hall. Uh, in Congo, you just don't go down to Acme Brick and buy a bunch of bricks. You, you got to make them. That's tough stuff, making bricks. At least it would be for me. I'd... But that's, uh, that's what he's about, and I trust we can be about helping him. Uh, my lovely wife uh, asked me to read... Uh, uh, this uh, Wednesday, July the 21st, is the next scheduled Women's Fellowship Night featuring the video, The Dominion of God's Image Bearers uh, from uh, Ligonier Ministry. Uh, sign up for attendees will begin next Sunday, July the 11th. Um, I heard a lot of great comments about uh, this fellowship time. So, ladies, uh, trust you'll consider going to that. Um, does anyone have something they'd like to bring to the attention of God's people before we're dismissed? Well, good enough. Let's stand for concluding prayer and word of benediction. Our great God, we are profoundly uh, thankful for bringing us to the faith and for establishing us in the faith. Uh, would it please Thee to advance that work that we might grow continually? and exhibit fruitfulness for thy kingdom and the majesty of our great and only Redeemer. And now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you to stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.